Welcome to the show. My name is Matthias Olsen. When I'm not making these podcast episodes, I'm a filmmaker. I run the film platform Campfire Stories, which you can find at campfire-stories.org. I make films with the aim to inspire towards a future that we can be proud to hand over to the next generation. You know, a world with a functioning biosphere, a world where you can still breathe the air, drink the water and eat the blueberries in the forest. There are other similar film platforms around the world with dedicated filmmakers using their talents to create solutions-focused films for the challenges of our times. One such platform is Happen Films, which is run by two wonderful people by the name of Antoinette Wilson and Jordan Osmond. In this episode, I'll be sitting down with them to compare notes about what we as filmmakers can do to inspire positive change around the globe. To check out the work of Happen Films, go to happenfilms.com. And to see the films of Campfire Stories, go to campfire-stories.org. Enjoy the episode. All right, let's get started. Let me begin by asking you, can you describe Happen Film? Happen Films? Yeah. <laughs> so we're, I'm Jordan, this is Antoinette, um, and we are Happen Films. We're a, a filmmaking duo who make um, short films and feature films about ways that we can make change in our lives to live more sustainably, be more resilient, um, and yeah, what we can do in the face of some of these big issues like climate change. Yeah, solutions-focused filmmakers. Yeah. I like to, I like that kind of concept. I like to highlight that concept that we're really solutions-focused. Nice. So you've, for how long has Happen Films been around? When did you begin? We're, we're just about to have our fifth birthday next month. So uh, in 2015, uh, we began Happen Films. Well, I, I began Happen Films and then halfway through the year, Antoinette um, joined me. Uh, we met on a documentary project. It was my first documentary. It's called A Simpler Way and that's up on our channel for free. It's a feature film. And part of that project was involved getting uh, nine people together to live in a community for a year and I was going to film it and we were all going to live together develop community, build tiny homes, grow our own food. Um, change the world. Change the world and provide a, a, maybe like an example of how to live within a one world footprint. So what, would, what could a lifestyle look like if we consume the resources that one planet is able to provide? That was kind of the, the outline. Mm. Um, and really challenging year. Yeah, yep, it was a... <laughs> Challenging year on many fronts. Um, I'd never made a documentary before, so... No one involved in the project no. had ever made a documentary before. No. No one had any experience. It was all working it out as we went along. Yeah. And somehow at the end of it, a film came out of it. and um, Which has had really great yeah. views on... It's over a million, yeah. million views on YouTube and it's had really... We just had an email yesterday from a... A climate change conference in the UK wanting to show it and mm. it's still you know being shown in, in community screenings around the world so it's yeah it's nice to have jumped into a project like that with with 
no background, no learning and no um, idea how it's going to come out. And what came out of it was kind of really happen films and mm. um, an awesome community and a, a, a beautiful new network and our relationship. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and for me it was such a life-changing experience because I had never heard of basically any of the things that we were uh, trying to embody during that year and, and demonstrate. I'd never heard of permaculture. I'd never heard of you know peak oil, these kind of energy issues. And it was an amazing opportunity because um, I got to interview people like Nicole Foss, like David Holmgren, these academics who are speaking these, uh, speaking about these big concepts, and I was getting this this first-hand knowledge, and as well as the practical experience of building tiny homes out of recycled materials and um, growing food using permaculture methods, and it was just like a big mind-blowing um, experience for me. I moved out of my parents' house to go live in my van initially, <laughs> but then I got a tiny house, which was much appreciated during winter. Mm. But yeah, for me, it was um, a huge personal experience, a life-changing experience, but also it's where Happen Films really found its voice and uh, style. Mm. Yeah, I saw that film. Uh, I thought it was really great. I, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to believe that it was the, the first film you ever made and that you didn't really know what you were doing because it looked like you knew what you were doing and it was really inspiring. <laughs> but it, so, was, it was edited by a professional. Yeah, so. yeah. The only person who knew what he was doing was the editor, which probably right. saved it in the end, really. Right. Um, and I, don't, I haven't watched it in a couple of years. I don't know if I could now. You had to watch it. I again had to go to a day. screening recently and it was pretty... Yeah, cringy. I mean, you're in it, so that's, that's another <laughs> yeah, level Yeah, I'm in of it, which is worse, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's always hard to look back at your work, even though like it still gets amazing comments and people are still screening it and love it. It's it's always hard to look back at your own work. I mean, you probably feel the same, is that you've, you feel like you've grown so much and you would do things differently then, and it's you realise all these things that you didn't realise back then when you were making it, so it's always a bit like, ooh, that's what, 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 what are you talking about? I love all of my work. <laughs> <laughs> it's just us then <laughs> so, so it began five years ago with this film and since since then how many films have you made how many interviews have you made we've made about hmm. 20 short films ranging from kind of 5 to 20 minutes we've made two feature films so A Simpler Way was one and our others called Living the Change and We've made one half-hour documentary called Fools and Dreamers, which was our big project for last year. And we've done a lot of interviews. We've yeah, done, I mean, obviously there's also a lot of interviews yeah, that haven't made it yeah. into a film yet or might not. So, so yeah, it's been a very intense five years. Hmm. Yeah, it, it can feel like we haven't achieved that much yeah. in a way. Like, we, we release a film every couple of months at the moment, which we're trying to improve um, by bringing more people on board. But... You know, when you hear about the state of the world and you read new reports that come out and you, you feel a bit despairing and you feel like, am I doing enough? You know, we need to put out more. We need to make a film that's going to change the world, the film that's going to mm. <laughs> inspire people to really change. And it can feel a real sense of urgency, which isn't really helpful to the creative process, I don't mm. think. No. So it's a kind of a balance between needing needing to give the creative process its time, but then also, um, yeah, trying, trying to 
tell as many stories as we can and, and mm. um, I guess, yeah, get the message out there that we're trying to. Mm. Mm. So if you look back at, at before Happen Films began um, and you look at today, what are some things that you've learned through all of these maybe hundreds of interviews, I'm guessing here, but many interviews mm. with um, mm. presumably uh, enlightened people, or not presumably, because I've seen most of your films and I know that there's some some really um, knowledgeable people that, that you've interviewed. Mm. What are some things that you've learned about about the world or about how to go about trying to uh, make less of a, a footprint or or live more in harmony or or just be more sane mm. in, in this world, in this chapter? <laughs> To me, it feels like a, um, I go through peaks and troughs of, of despair and hope. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, when we're, when we're spending a lot of time at home uh, in the editing stages of, of a film, I can go, or research, I can go through stages of despair. And then when we're out interviewing people, I go through stages of hope because the people that we interview are so inspiring and so um, kind of energised and motivated in general to... Um, well, with their message. Um, we had, so I, ca I came into it with um, with a bit more of a background than George. So I, I, I'd already had my kind of epiphany uh, in, I think in 2007 and, and my, my course had cha started changing then. So I was on, a, I was on my journey. And um, there's, there have been a couple of interviews where, uh, where, I've, where it's just where I've come away and gone wow that was that's just um, switched things again for me one was um, with a woman that we interviewed for a um, documentary living the change um, and she's a um, mechanical engineer, mechanical engineer. <laughs> <laughs> and she was talking about um, she was talking about energy and I was still very much in that techno optimist I wouldn't have called it that at the time but I was a techno optimist so I did really feel that um, you know that having solar panels and an electric car and yeah. um, you know all of this technology was was actually going to save the day. And I came away from that interview understanding that it wasn't um, that it wasn't going to be a magical thing um, like that. And that and that was um, yeah that was one of those moments where it's like oh wow I have to rethink everything <laughs> again. <laughs> was that um, was that sorry to uh, to chip in here but uh, was that the woman who said something that we have to go back to uh, like um, like in the 60s and 70s that's the sort of level of consuming that we have to go yeah. return to yeah I the like 1950s that. That, that has stuck yeah. with me or the 50s yeah yeah that that comment mm. really has stayed with me yeah no that, I mean exactly uh, and it's it's little things like that 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 really you know when when something like that really stays with you um, and it it might not even feel like a, a, a big moment at the time, but I think that's one of the most important things that we do as storytellers is um, those little um, comments or moments that just really stick with you and might not change your life in the moment. In that case, it was, for me, it was quite a shift. So I really made some, some I made some really important mental shifts. Um, but but um, yeah, that, that notion of going back to the 50s, because often t techno optimists, um, are really grumpy with you when, when you suggest that technology might not save the day, and there's this there's that really common comment, um, 
you know, oh, well, what are we going to do? Go back and live in caves. <laughs> and So those are the two options. Yeah. Either we have <laughs> hyper-technology <laughs> or you, we go back to being cavemen. Yeah. And it's such, a, it's such a narrow-minded viewpoint, but it was really important that she says that, you know, we need to go back to the 1950s. The 1950s feels very, well, I'm 45, so I wasn't born in the 1950s, but it, was, it feels close in the, um, in the scheme of things. It feels doable, it feels manageable, and it actually feels quite appealing. Yeah. When you you know when you really research it and think about it and think about and look into how people were living in the 1950s, I think I think there's a lot that was happening in the 1950s that I wouldn't want to go back to as well. I mean, there was that was a that was the shifting time, um, mm. but yeah, what what a what a much more positive sort of inspiring and hopeful way of thinking about it. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like um, it's a, it's a shift in kind of attitude rather than needing yes. to wait for something to be invented. Mm. I think that's, um, that's a big thing and a big message in our films is that <clears throat> we don't need to wait to start making change. And for like, someone else to... For someone else, for the government to, you know, make change or for businesses to invent the right thing, the right products. We're, we're all about like how individuals and communities can, can create change, be more resilient and how that we feel is, is where the um, where the movement is going to grow and where the groundswell for change will come from. Mm. Um, I don't have any uh, or much hope that it's going to come from top down if we look at the governments around the world today. Um, so where else is it going to come from? And mm. that's, that's from the bottom up. But, you know, technology, of course, will play a role. It's, I think it's just an important discussion of like what role is that going to play? rather than kind of taking for granted that humanity is on this trajectory trajectory of growth and progress and soon we'll be on Mars and we can abandon this Earth because we ruined it and we better start again somewhere else. <laughs> like, um, there's got to be some middle ground, mm. I think. I hate that idea, that the Mars idea. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. maybe we should stay on the place where we have millions of years, literally millions of years of getting used to the place. Uh, of, mm. uh, you know, having our body function with the chemicals that are around and this uh, uh, oxygen thing that we, are, you know, seem to s- seems to work well for us, the water thing, you know. Yeah. 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 It's almost like the, it's like the epitome of separation, like even thinking that we could survive, like maybe technologically one day if, if the, you know, forget any like limits to growth or <laughs> progress or anything say one day we could live on mars mm. like i wouldn't want to i'd rather die here on earth i think because mm. like i'm not going to go live in the middle of the desert like why would i want to live in a bubble on mars in this artificial environment where i don't think without being surrounded by other living things i don't see how humans can have a healthy existence by right. being these kind of solitary um, creatures on a planet that isn't our home and it isn't in that web of life that we've evolved to be in. Mm. I just don't, mm. sure we might be able to survive, but I don't know. Is it, is it a lifestyle that we want? Right. Is, it, is, it it, is, is that the is, future we want? It is the ultimate in disconnection. I remember reading a book when I was in my early teens, which was um, set in the future. And I loved fantasy and I love future, you know, anything sort of, I love the idea of taking a pill and it would taste like a roast and, you'd, and a whole roast meal and you wouldn't have to eat anything else, you know. Th- these notions... I still like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and um, this this world was uh, this was a world in which everyone lived in in domes because um, you know obviously we we'd ruined the the world and we couldn't live in nature anymore. And I loved the notion of it. I loved the I loved the world that that also created. Mm. But I, I look back on that now and think, uh, thank goodness I've become a person who recognises that I that I am not. I'm not a human being of planet Earth unless I'm living in nature and li- living. Well, I am. I am nature. Mm. And to 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 enclose yourself in a dome, um, yeah, you're no you're no longer really what you were born to be. Yeah. Uh, but but so when I so when when I hear people talking about going to live on Mars, I, I kind of think of them as my 13 year old self. <laughs> you know, like it's such an immature, disconnected, mm. separated. Um, undeveloped mindset and it makes me sad that there are people in positions of real power who really are actually creating the possibility of that yeah. happening who are, who have that mindset it's yeah you can almost feel uh, I guess kind of sad for for that mm. that viewpoint because that that's a symptom of you know not feeling connected mm. to the land to the earth mm. and that's got that's got to have some you know hollowness within within those people and I mean within all of us I guess because none of us are or maybe apart from indigenous people like we're or I feel so disconnected to the land really which is something it's been a huge shift in in all this over the last five years is trying to reconnect and I think is a huge part of all the change that needs to happen but yeah to to feel like we can do without those relationships I think is a Mm. I don't know it's it's a sad viewpoint Mm. Yeah. yeah, but there's some similarity when I hear you talking about living in a bubble world. Um, it's sort of I, I used to live in New York. I lived there for for 13 years, and um, not that I was just uh, staying in my apartment all the time. But I mean, you could literally just stay in your apartment and order in food and order like anything could be brought to you. And I feel like mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong here, but I, I feel like there are people who. Uh, who, who sort of lived that bubble lifestyle already, it, mm. but and that for them maybe wouldn't be such a, so drastically different to do that on Mars. Yeah. So maybe for some people yeah. it's the, the yeah it's I feel like maybe it's not until you begin to have a relationship with nature for real that you start to to understand what it is to be human. Mm. And I think that's at the core of our issues is the fact that so many of us are, I mean, I know because I was so completely um, disconnected from um, what, what I feel now is kind of how we're supposed to live in the world. Yeah. And I, it's not, I'm not saying that cities are a, a bad thing and shouldn't exist because I actually think that it's, um, you can create a really beautiful form of resilience and com- community in a, in a city in a way that it's actually quite hard, can be quite hard to do in the country. Um and 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 it would be silly to think of a world that didn't have cities, or to or to try and sort of dream of a world that didn't have cities now. But um, but I think I think we can still create that. We can still reconnect as city dwellers. Um, but I but I think that the the core issues that we're dealing with, you know, uh, globally, have to do with that disconnection that so many of us um, are experiencing knowingly. Un- unknowingly. Mm. Yeah. Did you find that when you were in New York? Did you did you feel like you needed to get out, or like I'm interested to hear how that shift happened for you? 
Uh, I mean, it was actually really, really great. Uh, I moved there when I was 21. So um, from 21 to 35, I lived there. And and what a great time in your life as a young person to start to realize who you are and who other people are. And to be in this uh, city that sort of has everything and there's cultures from every corner of the globe represented in restaurants and music. And I really, really, it, it was double because I really, really loved it. But at the same time, I also felt um, like this is not for real. <laughs> something f like something felt weird and I couldn't put my finger on it. And but I was just having such a good time that I wasn't really asking those questions. And I wasn't really um, into politics or uh, I mean, I cared about the uh, nature and I, I cared about the earth, but not actively. I cared more about, I guess I was in that developmental stage where it's like, who am I in this world? So that was more important. And then, mm. and I was working as a fashion photographer. <clears throat> I say that now with a, a little bit of shame almost. At the time it was like the coolest thing that you could say like at a party, like, what do you work with? I'm a fashion photographer in New York. <laughs> Today it's like, oh. But I have to, I have to own it because that's what it was. Um, and, but, but I was, so I was a photo assistant first, um, and we were doing all these photo shoots with supermodels and it was very glitzy and, and fancy on the surface. And, um, and then when I went on my own as a photographer, I was really surprised to find that I, I got a lot of work and I was hired and I was able to be a photographer also. Um, in my own right and so I was caught up in the glitziness of that uh, and, and in the idea of that and then when I started to realize that oh so this is who I am now or not who I am but this is what I work with now is this really what I want to be working with is this really like to, to whose dream am I contributing and what what is my contribution <laughs> And I, it started to catch up with me around when I was around 30, that um, I don't really want to be a, a, you know, a, a skin product salesman, which is really what I was, uh, or a clothing sale. You know, I was contributing to magazines that were selling advertising for makeup and clothing. And, and I was like, mm -hmm. this is not why I got into photography and this is not really who I am. Um, and then I started doing more portraiture and then I, I found this uh, film festival, uh, Human Rights Watch, uh, organized the film festival in New York. And so I went there every year and I was like, wow, this would be something to be able to, to explore all these different worlds and tell these stories. <clears throat> and in the middle of all of these ideas and thoughts, 9-11 um, happened. Um, and I was a, a witness to the to the, the second plane, I, the, the first plane I saw it on TV and then I went up on the roof and looked across the, uh, the river to see the Twin Towers and, and then I saw the second plane. And that was really the beginning of my s no longer being a, a child <laughs> uh, and, mm. and beginning to question things and, and beginning to ask like what, why, who are these people who did this? Why, how could it happen? there must be a reason for this. Not to say that there was a legitimate reason for it, but there must be a reason. And when I would listen to the news and, and listen to radio, nobody came up with a, 
an answer that satisfied me. The answers were silly. They were like, do you remember George Bush? He was like, um, they're evildoers. It was just silly. Mm -hmm. It was like as if we were in kindergarten or something. Yeah. They're evildoers. We're going to smoke them out of their holes. Uh, you're either with <laughs> us or you're with the terrorists. It was just so silly, the whole thing. And that's yeah. really when I began to... That hurried my uh, wanting to uh, understand the world better and, 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 and try to contribute and, and to no longer be a fashion photographer in New York. <laughs> Mm. And uh, I can't remember now what the, what the question was. I started talking about this. It's too long. I'm supposed to be interviewing you. But yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good story, though. Mm. Like, what a powerful yeah. way to... Yeah. Mm. That's quite an experience. Mm. And do you feel... Now do you feel... Oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm interviewing you again. Interviewing you again. <laughs> that's fine. We'll, we'll take turns. <laughs> that, that's what I get for trying to interview documentary filmmakers. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, get a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, do, you, do you feel that satisfaction or sense of purpose and meaning that you didn't doing fashion photography? Do you feel that now, doing the work with Campfire Stories? So the answer should be yes, probably, and I should say something really smart and clever. But the real truth for me is that uh, waking up or like beginning to realize how the world works and, not, and doesn't work is really a, a sorrow-filled um, endeavor for me. So, so waking up has not come with uh, chimes and... Uh, lovely uh, yoga music in the background. Um, it's it's come with with a, a big heap of depression, um, mm. but in in facing that, there's also the the promise of actually feeling like I'm I'm actually doing something that um, I don't know. I can't say that it contributes. I can't say that it it does good. But I can say that I'm doing my best. To the best of my ability, I'm, I'm using the the gifts that I've been gifted, um, and and I'm trying to to do something with them mm. Uh, mm. to 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 go in the direction where if I'm just close my eyes and feel like what what can I do? What's the best I can do? Uh, yeah, this at this chapter in my life, this is the best that I can do. So mm. Mm. that's the slightly longer answer. Mm. Which leads yeah. me, and I'm going to take back the interviewing hat, if that's okay, for a second. Because <laughs> it leads me to a question that I had for you guys. Because this is the question that I ask myself often. Um, because, yeah, in, in, in my best moments, I feel like I'm really contributing and doing something positive. And as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, modern uh, storyteller around the, uh, around the fire... Um, but there are times when I feel like, why don't I do something that actually makes a difference? Why don't I stop this nonsense of trying to make films? Maybe that's just an excuse for me to do what I like to do. And why don't I just go and clean up a beach? Or why don't I just go and, and, and help people and, and do something that is real? Mm. Um, so with that setup, <laughs> sorry for that setup, <laughs> how do you feel, like, what do you feel that storytelling means or, or can um, how should I phrase this 
like what what can storytelling in the modern world do to help to help uh, step into a more ecological or, or less of a footprint world uh, mm. so we can hand mm. something positive to future generations mm. Mm. yeah I, I, th I think about this a lot as well of like you know are we is this the right thing to be doing with our time and our energy like should we be actually you know chaining ourselves to things and you know cleaning up beaches and and all that um you know actual practical stuff um and there's a sense of yeah like is this are we just kind of justifying what we like to do with like oh it's you know we must be doing something good hopefully <laughs> <laughs> but i think that's um i think those doubts kind of dissolve when we see the feedback that we get from the films. Mm. I think that really hmm. keeps us going and makes it kind of validates these um, these these feelings of we are contributing to something bigger and playing our part with the skills that we have. We get a lot of comments from people feeling yeah just really grateful that there's some positive stories being told, some solutions focused stories. I think people are really wanting practical um, actions that they can take and they want something to hope for because there's so much despair and um, and worry around the future, mm. which is, you know, valid, of course. Mm. But that's kind of where the, the, the story can end a lot of the time, especially with news and on social media. You know, a lot of people now are just kind of resigned to humanity is going to go extinct in the next 10, 20, 30 years. There's no hope. There's nothing. There's no point of doing anything. And so they just carry on as normal in, in a kind of despair mode, which is also a story in itself. Mm. That's a, a destructive story, I think, because it hasn't happened yet and we don't know what the future holds. But if we believe that, then it's kind of, it's written in. If we decide to do nothing as, as humanity, then yes, we will eventually destroy ourselves. Mm. So, self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy. So I guess what we're trying to do is be the, the counter to that and say and provide a, I guess, a vision for what the future could look like through, through these stories, through, mm. through filming with people who are um, living in a different way, I guess we're trying to give a taste of what a more beautiful world, to borrow Charles Eisenstein's phrase, could look like. Because I think that can be a lot, can be a struggle for people and can be a part of the problem is that there's no alternative to the doom and despair. And, and, and if there's no hope, then nothing will change. And so by, by giving these examples and showing that things can be done and that it can be done on an individual level, I think is really empowering. Mm. And I think we tend to see that with the comments that, that mm. come in. Yeah, we had someone write yesterday mm. and he sent us a, um, a $100 donation and he's, yeah. a, he's a young New Zealand guy. Um, it was such, it's so lovely when someone, when a complete stranger sends you a, a generous donation mm. um, because your work has affected, had an impact on him. And he said, 
you know, I, um, I've watched, I've watched all your films and I've got, and when, when I have days of despair, I've got a few go-to films that I just come back to and I watch those and then I feel a little bit more hope and like I can kind of get on and, um, and make the changes in my own life. And it's like, that, like we sat, we were sitting on the couch reading this email together and we're both like, it's, it, it has an emotional impact, mm. um, mm. To read to read that because it's like okay we are actually doing something that's um, that people are telling us straight away you know has an impact. I know when I was in two thousand and seven I um, read a book, so this was my kind of moment. I'd always had a little bit of a a, a greeny kind of bent to my. I, I'd wanted to save the whales and dolphins when I was a teenager and mm. the rainforests, and it was a very kind of um, surface level of um, uh, environmentalism and I didn't really understand the issues um, and I read a book that had uh, th- th- that was my epiphany moment and it really turned my life around and I wish now that I'd written to the to the author and said thank you so much for completely changing my world view um, and, so, and having had that experience um, I know that when, in fact, I should write to her. Still can. <laughs> I still can, even if it's over 10 years later. Um, so, so, yeah, when people do write to us, when, the, when people actually take the time to sit down and write an email and say that, then you know that it really is something that you, you are really mm, reaching people. Um, like I said before, I do have moments of, um, of real despair and I sort of think, you know, we... We're growing our food, and we're um, we're part of our local time bank. Not particularly active, but um, we um, we're very connected with sort of people in this space, and always sort of trying to build our our resilience through you know our community network. Um, so we are kind of doing things at a personal level, mm. but um, but then you know um, when there's a when there's something big happening, um, and we haven't where we could be involved on an activist level. And we haven't been. It's usually been because we've been busy making a film. Mm. <laughs> and there is that real sense of, is it more important to be here reaching this self-imposed deadline or to be out there picking up waste on the beach when a huge storm um, brought, uh, opened up a, land, um, a landfill and spread decades of rubbish on a beautiful beach, uh, which was a, a, a terrible thing that happened in New Zealand last year. Um, and so many people went there to um, to help pick up that waste, which seemed almost futile because there was just so much of it and people are still out there picking it up months and months later. Mm. Um, and we were on, we were, we had this, um, we were in the middle of Fools and Dreamers. And uh, yeah, like how do you sort of weigh that up and are we doing enough and is it, is this, is it enough to, no. to just put films out, which we love doing and you do feel... A, set, a level of guilt because you're doing something you love doing. I mean, we're so privileged to mm. to do what we love and do it in the in the way that we love doing it, with no one sort of uh, applying pressure about how we do it or mm. in what time frame we do it. You know, we we are incredibly privileged. Mm. Um, so yes, yeah, so some guilt comes along with that because. Um, but I guess that's the. I guess that's the dilemma of our time. I, probably that applies to, yeah. to people not only who are working with what they love to do, but maybe mm. that applies to everybody who go to the supermarket mm. and they see that, uh, all right, I, I bought uh, 
uh, organic milk, but I didn't buy the organic raisins. Uh, or like, I'm sure probably <laughs> a lot of people recognize themselves that, that uh, oh, I could do more. So there's that guilt yeah. hanging over us, and, and maybe rightfully mm. so. Maybe future generations will look back and say, yeah, you know, um, you, you're not going to get like a medal for that for all that organic milk you bought. Okay, there were like a lot of <laughs> things that you could have done. Yeah, I think mm. it's because uh, it's a really interesting. Um, it's a really interesting. I, I think about this a lot. Um, you know. <laughs> Our, our purchasing decisions, our lifestyle decisions, the privilege that we have that we can make those decisions. We we don't. We our income is is very low in comparison to um, probably the average, I guess, for um, people doing what we do because we choose to to do it um, to be YouTubers and to release most of our films for free. In the same way that um, that you're working, there's a you, there's a compromise that you make. Mm. Um, to live more frugally in order to do it the way that you want to do it. So, so we do have a, a low income, but we live, but because of the way that we choose to live, I feel that we live very well and that we are really, really privileged. But I think a lot about, um, you know, the, the majority of people in the world don't have the, the even have the, the privilege of being able to choose to make by their purchasing decisions around um, these questions, and. That thinking about that can really make you. Uh, I think what I feel is that the most important thing we can have is an attitude shift, mm. more than you know whether we whether we angst over whether we can afford to buy organic milk or non-organic milk or whatever. Um, is the most important thing that we can be doing is is thinking differently about how we live in the world. And if we can't buy or make organic milk because we can't afford it, we can still be. Um, we can still be talking about how we live in the world to, uh, to, to the people around us and we can still be creating other ways of um, being more connected um, to what's happening in the world. It doesn't all have to be around your purchasing decisions. Right. And I think we can, and those of us who are middle class and privileged can get very caught up in that you know, what what often becomes kind of greenwashing of, you know, like, you know, yeah. I've got my stylish keep cup and so therefore I'm... Um, I'm, um, I can feel good about myself. Um, I think it's far more important to think about how you're thinking and how you're talking, how you're communicating about all of this with um, other people than angsting about purchasing decisions. And I, and I say that from years of experience of, <laughs> of being very focused on my purchasing decisions. <laughs> so, yeah. Hmm. But, I yeah, feel like sometimes... Oh, I was just going to add to that, like what you touched on, what you touched on though, of like, you know, just making films isn't enough. We feel like, you know, we have, to, it's really important to us to live the message that we're putting out there because it feels like the right thing to do. So, you know, like we're, we're trying to grow as much food as we can. We try to use the purchasing power that we have to support the industries that we want to support and see, um, see thrive. You know, we're doing our best to be as low waste as possible. Um, we're yeah conscious around our consumption, mm. um, and I think that's a really important foundation for us to not just you know put this message out there, but to also live it because that would feel that would feel very hypocritical um, yeah. and wouldn't feel right either. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But it's also empowering to live like that. I mean, it's yeah. very empowering. Yeah, it's how we would live anyway. Yeah. Even if we weren't making films, this would be how we'd live. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm. 
I feel like sometimes it's it's not because if if I imagine the let's call it the perfect me who who has zero um, uh, zero waste and live the, the the perfect ecological life with zero footprint uh, of any kind. If I imagine that person and and what that would entail. Um, and all the changes that I would have to make, uh, and I, I probably can't even imagine, but if I really sat down to try and imagine what I would have to do, uh, that thought it leaves me depressed because it's out of reach. Yeah. I feel like that's, I, I, it, it's, it feels impossible. So instead, I've, I'm trying to think of it as, uh, as a direction. Um, so like checking the compass needle and and, and, and stopping and, and not being sure about things, taking in different sides and listening and, um, and, and just really calibrating that compass and taking a small step and asking myself, what is my next step that feels right? Mm. Uh, so just recently, because um, I've been driving around this old Volvo for, from, I have to throw in Volvo there because I'm Swedish. <laughs> from 1994, <laughs> a real gas guzzler. Um, so I've been driving that around and I have about eight kilometers from my home to my office. So I start a cold car and drive eight kilometers and, and work and then I drive home. It's been really weighing on my conscience uh, um, and I've, it just hasn't felt right. Uh, but I also have to drop off my daughter uh, it used to be a drop off, uh, drop her off at daycare, and now I drop her off at school. So I was like, I can't. If I bike, it's, I'm just gonna. It's gonna be so tiring, and I couldn't imagine doing it. And then suddenly, just it inched closer and closer and closer. And finally, I got um, an electric bike with a, one of those big boxes in the front where you can put your child or some groceries and stuff. Now, I'm not saying that an electrical bicycle necessarily is great for the environment because God knows where that battery came from and so on. Yeah. Um, but I'm guessing, I'm taking a wild guess here, that it's a few steps better than my old 1994 Volvo that weighs like <laughs> one and a half tons. And, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's a step in the right direction. So that was something yeah. that inched closer and then became available as an option and became fun and seemed like... Yes, it was. A, it, it became a big, big yes within me. Instead mm -hmm. of this depressed sort of, oh, am I really gonna have to start? I really like having milk in my coffee, but I know I should use the vegan option, but it doesn't taste quite as good. So, just like, yeah, not rushing into being good, <laughs> but yeah. but but setting the direction, and maybe this yeah. is terrible. A terrible way of seeing it but that's the that's the closest that's that seems more right to me for for me to to try yeah, to yeah. always question what am i doing now what's going on here what's all this packaging what's do i oh this is one i'm gonna ask you this one do i really need that new computer do i really need that new <laughs> camera that new microphone um tech stuff so i've been yeah. working with these old my camera is like almost 10 years old now on my computer and i just recently got a new computer but how throwing that back to you how do you mm. think about it's tech? a big one yeah uh, yeah yeah it's a yeah it's it's a challenge it's because yeah like essentially we rely on technology and this global supply chain of dubious materials to give us the equipment to do what we do 
Mm. Um, and yeah, there's I because I, I do most of the buying of gear and things. Um, <laughs> it's a question that like everything I buy, it's almost exhausting because I have to go through this like mental <laughs> checklist of like, okay, is this worth it? Is um, well, first I try to buy it secondhand, but I can almost never find what I need secondhand here in New Zealand. There's just not a big camera market um, of you know certain things. So I do end up buying more than I'd like new. But then there are things like um, like cameras, like do we, do we upgrade cameras? And okay, I can't buy this, this camera here secondhand. Is it worth buying new? And then recently I thought I made the decision, yes, okay, gonna, gonna buy a new camera, which is, um, yeah, I've only ever had one other, or I've had two other new cameras. But I was less conscious about it then. <laughs> um, but yeah, buy as much secondhand as we can. But then also being very conscious about when we do buy new, I think is is uh, is our approach. Mm. Being being conscious of it and really thinking it through, I think is is critical. Yeah. Another thing that <clears throat> because as you'll know, there's there's a, a ridiculous number of little things you need to to get, you know, adapters and. Yeah, I mean, that's just, the stuff you can never find secondhand. No one sells yeah. like this particular piece of rig for this camera. <laughs> and then that comes with mountains of packaging. It's really yeah. difficult to um, to buy anything that doesn't come multiple ra- multiply wrapped in plastic and mm. um, bubble. We had we've ordered something that came in, you know, in a, a box three times its size, filled with. <laughs> bubble wrap yeah. and it's you know luckily the lady at the post office was delighted to take it so that she mm. could give it to people for their Christmas presents <laughs> but y- y- yeah so there's this it's a constant thinking and battling and writing to people and saying could you please send it in different packaging which most of the time they can't because it's already packaged um, but I think the first it's the consciousness and second it is actually writing to people and saying because even if they can't send it to you with different packaging, they've heard that, and if they hear it from someone else, and then they hear it seven times, um, apparently you learn after hearing things seven times, so maybe it'll work with businesses as well. They have they, they have to make those those changes um, if, if enough people demand it. Yeah. So I think that's part of it for us is it, it's, it's a tiny little form of activism in, you know, if we can wrap it up in what we're doing in some way um, to... Or unwrap it. <laughs> <laughs> Unwrap the plastic. <laughs> nice um, one, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it, it's a it's a constant um, process for us mm. of mm. of being conscious and um, being present in in terms of, in everything that we um, making making sure that our lives that our um, ethics feed into everything that we do. Right. Um, yeah. at, yeah. But like what you're touching on before, I think, is a lot of these problems are systemic as well. Mm. So you can only do so much. You can only, um, you know, we're, we're operating within a system that doesn't make this easy. So there's always going to be compromises. Yeah. So like you, you riding or you needing to drive or buy an electric bike, um, it's, I mean, it's similar here. Like we have a car that we need to drive into Christchurch to buy our groceries and do other things. Um, we do that once a week. We try to keep it to once a week. But, you know, there's no train to go in there. We, 
we can't ride. We could cycle we could, we three hours there yeah, and back. It would be a, a big day because <laughs> then you need to cycle in the city as well. So there's these kind of like systemic infrastructure challenges as well that make it just really hard because, you know, and relative to everything, petrol's pretty cheap as well. Like yeah. it should be more expensive really yeah. Yeah. for what it is. Yeah. And it makes things like, um, I mean, yeah, buying an electric bike is... Um, inaccessible for a lot of people because they are very expensive or buying an electric car and all these things as well they're so um they're out of reach they're out of reach for a lot of people so yeah you can only do what you can do and you can only take your next step because you can't do everything at once which is yeah i mean that's the approach we take as well like you know we didn't five years ago have an epiphany and everything was changed you know we it's we're been on a, a slow journey yeah every year you know we're slowly mm. making changes the latest one being trying to reduce waste um but yeah it's because you also are constantly learning about what you can do as well and um getting new ideas and so mm. it's it's just it's always a journey and i don't know maybe in our lifetimes we'll never live sustainably or mm. never live within the resources of one planet but you know we can work towards that yeah i think yeah i want to switch gears a little bit and ask you about the future of happen films but before that i just want to throw in since i'm a, a, a newly uh, has become a um uh proponent of biking instead of driving so i will say that even though an electric bike uh even a, a fancy one that the one that i bought that was quite expensive is not really expensive if you compare if you had a car and if you're getting rid of your car and getting the bike it takes a year and then it breaks even and from there it's yeah. only plus because you're not putting petrol yeah. in it and you're not taking it to, yeah. to have it serviced and stuff so it's actually yeah. it, it might be expensive at the time but if like if you view it as a five-year investment it's it's mm. super 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 cheap and mm. it's delightful to ride to work i've found <laughs> even if it's snowing or raining or whatever it's actually i was riding the other day and i was like it, the weather was awful and i was like it's actually really just the idea of being out biking in this terrible weather that's bad the actual like what am i feeling right now the senses that i'm actually feeling are, uh, are delightful so that's my conclusion <laughs> <laughs> yeah great yeah so many other benefits to that than you know you could narrow it down to carbon emissions but that's a pretty narrow cost benefit isn't it yeah so yeah. there's other things that come with it yeah, yeah definitely but i want to ask you about happen films how what, what how do you envision that it will unfold and let's uh, let's take a sneak peek uh, so you just had your five year anniversary let's say a 10 year anniversary sneak peek what has happened what mm. what's uh, what are your dreams yeah, we're a multinational. A, yeah, global corporation, <laughs> offices in most <laughs> countries. And the fees are hefty for watching your films, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, they're yeah. not free. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice, good, we, good going, yeah. playing good guys for five years, really like paying yeah, dues yeah. and then... Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, well, this is a big subject for us at the moment. We're really we're going through a process at the moment of of thinking that through. What, what do we want to be? Where do, where where are we going? Um, we don't. I've I've been part of a um, in my prior to um, filmmaking. I was in the book publishing industry, and I've been in a um, part of a business that grew too quickly, um, and then fell through. And so that was a really good experience for me to. Um, 
to see how badly it can go if you try to grow too quickly. And goodness knows, we talk a lot about growth and, uh, and it's negative. So um, we, def we, we, we have no ambitions to, to grow as a, as a business, but we, um, or sort of exponentially, but we do have a, real, um, a really strong desire to work with a team because it's been the two of us for five years. And we have um, a couple of amazing mentors um, that we video call with once a month. And we have a, a fabulous friend who um, does second camera for us on some of our shoots. But otherwise it's literally, you know, the two of us 24 seven and it's work, home and work is all combined and it's Happen Films is kind of our life. Um, it would be really lovely to bring in a couple of people to um, to work with not just to ease, on, ease up the workload but to exchange ideas and creativity and so we're really looking forward to that. That's our, our mission. We've just um, made a connection this weekend with someone who's um, keen to come on board as a, an editor to work with us um, and we're, we're looking, uh, we're about to go out looking for someone to work with us in social media because it's not our forte um, and that's an area that we really need to uh, develop quite quickly um so yeah, so it's yeah like con conscious growth it is yeah. like not growth for the sake of it i think a lot of small businesses or people getting into having a small business it's that's what you do you need 10 employees from the get-go you need all this money so you get into debt and you just grow because you think you need all these people and that's what you do mm -hmm. so that's what we're not trying to do and we're trying to grow when we need to and mm. not you know try try not to get into debt as well yeah we have we have no debt personally or as a business and we and we don't intend to ever go into debt that's a, a kind of an ethical position um we our earnings are from um our awesome patreon um supporters uh youtube views because our movies, uh, all of our films are monetized, and donations from um, beautiful people around the world every now and then. And we've got one film that's pay to view, which is um, about around about sort of $10 to buy, and, and we sell community screenings. So all of that sort of, you know, that's, that's our income. So we, we just haven't been, I mean, we barely pay ourselves. Um, we, we pay ourselves enough to kind of buy the groceries um, and, and pay the rent. Um, so bringing somebody else on board hasn't been an option at all. Um, but now we're sort of, yeah, really thinking about how, like we live in such an interesting world, you know. Um, there, there are lots of different, I mean, we've had so many people volunteer their help, our mentors volunteer their help. Um, and so it's really sort of rethinking, you know, how can we begin this process? Because we want, we want to be paid um, for for the, for the work that we do, uh, so that when I mean, we don't sort of anticipate being millionaires, but we do want to be really comfortable, and we want to be able to bring people on board and pay them well for the work that they do. Um, so that's our kind of dream is to, is to have a team that that of people who are living well and thriving and and loving being part of this. Mm. Yeah, and providing um, work that's meaningful yeah. for other people. Like when we have contracted work with people it's yeah it's always awesome to hear that they they feel a sense of like yeah purpose and are just really passionate about the project because it is you know not, not everything they do is in line with you know changing the world or you know highlighting beautiful stories so it's 
I don't know, it's, it's amazing to be able to give those opportunities to people mm. as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so that's, yeah, that's, yeah. Our, um, that's a, a, a mission for this year is to uh, bring on a couple of people and, and start sort of creating a team. Mm. Mm. And another mission for this year, because we ha- something we sort of haven't been able to do as a team of two is to um, release films really regularly. We'd like to get to a stage of releasing a film every month um, in order to be more engaged with our or, or more sort of connected with our audience because they, they, they're sort of developing that sense of um, consistency and regularity mm. um, rather than putting out a film every few months. Um, yeah, we want to we want to sort of be more present um, in the in the space that we're creating via our website and our YouTube channel. Um, mm. So so that's a mission for this year as well, which is quite exciting. Mm. What we're doing next is a, a what's probably going to be a five-part series of ten to fifteen-minute films um, sharing Indigenous stories. So, filming with Māori people here in New Zealand and sharing that knowledge and worldview in a similar style to uh, the films we already release of people making change um, in all these different areas of food and housing and community. So really kind of blending those two and and amplifying these really important voices and Mm. and stories. I think there's a a growing understanding of um, how much um, traditional cultures that that are still holding on to their traditional values and um, knowledge um, to, to the extent to which we've not just ignored them but but actually um, suppressed them um, and how much they have to teach and how much we can learn from them and there's a, a there's not only a growing understanding of that there's a growing acceptance of it and a real interest in exploring um, that or that that sort of suppressed knowledge and um, and uh, re, yeah, reconnecting through that knowledge. Mm. And the Māori culture has uh, started a, a sort of a renaissance back in the 70s and it's, a, it's been a, um, a, a, a probably a too slow um, development of re, relearning and um, an understanding of what was lost over, um, over 100 years or more. Mm. And... It's a yeah. It's a really. It's just a really exciting um, time, and uh, yeah, we're we're going through a a big learning space, uh, learning phase of um, learning language, learning cultural um, values, um, reconnecting, and and yeah, hopefully through this film series, being able to share that um, more broadly, the really uh, wonderful things that are coming out of. yeah, that are, hap- that are happening here in New Zealand that I think will be uh, really important learnings for anybody anywhere in the world. Mm. It's, so it sounds like a little bit of a departure from the uh, a classical Happen Films film is about uh, uh, permaculture or uh, uh, waste-free living or compo- composts, composting toilets and stuff like that. So this is a little bit of a, a new area maybe. It's the same yeah. area. Yeah. So, so for example, here in New Zealand, there's a movement called Parakore, which is the Māori waste-free movement. And so it's waste-free in the same way that, that anybody does waste-free, but it's waste-free f- with, from within the worldview of Māori, and that has its own connotations um, and its own um, 
uh, I guess, sort of philosophical and ethical um, background that I think we can learn from um, and uh, take from in a way that um, just adds a, a just brings yeah it, it adds a different um, dimension dimension to, yeah to what we're already doing mm. so it's very similar it, it's there'll be very similar films in this case we're hoping to take the production value up a notch by seeking funding for them mm. which we don't usually do for our short films mm. so we're, we're seeking we're going to be seeking funding for the whole project and that will help us to um, bring on board a, um, a consultant to make sure that we um, approach the whole subject appropriately and um, and also to um, yeah, pay pay an editor to work with us. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a project that we really want to invest a lot in. We really want to do um, real justice to the yeah to the to the subject. Mm. And it's all it's all similar to it's with all within like the what we've been doing. But you know, a lot of these things have different names, but they're all kind of touching on the same thing. Whether you mm. call it permaculture, whether you you call it whether you call it, call it whatever, they're all kind of, you know, they all have their own unique attributes, but they're all within the same thing and they're all kind of touching on the same, mm. you know, reconnecting with the land, mm. living more sustainably, living more in community. Um, so all these similar themes, but yeah, with an added kind of dimension. and Something that's really important for us is to, is, focusing on the interconnectedness of, of all of these things, you know, not, like mm. not just talking about the waste-free movement or just talking about composting toilets, which is one of our favourite subjects, well, one of my favourite subjects anyway. Um, you know, that as it, on its own, it's such, it's such a critical, I feel it's such a critical thing to be doing. Um, it's such a, an important level of responsibility, taking care of, of waste in a, in a responsible way. Um, but it's connected to everything. It's, it's, it's connected to everything else that we're talking about in our films. Mm. And what I love about um, coming at the films from a perspective of, for example, um, Māori culture, is that that's already so embedded in their cultural values and that, that, inter that interconnectedness of everything. Mm. Um, and that's, what I, that's the message that we really want to share is that all, it's all connected um, and, and fundamentally, there's, there are there are some really there are core issues that we can deal with more uh, successfully if we acknowledge that interconnectedness of everything. Mm. It's almost like that disconnection, I think, is kind of the root of mm. all these problems. And I think you know Charles Eisenstein speaks to this in his his work, which has been hugely influential on us, um, and we were lucky enough to interview him. But I think. Yeah, things like climate change, things like um, extinction, all these issues, it all comes back to being disconnected from our place in the world and to each other and to the web of life. Um, and so I guess, yeah, we're trying to explore how, how to reconnect to that mm. as like a starting point to then, okay, then how do I live if I believe these things. If I believe I'm a part of a web of life and that the health of me depends on everything else, okay, then how do I eat? How do I, you know, what do I do with my waste? How do I live in the world if that's my kind of underlying belief and philosophy? Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, that we have um, the inspiration from Charles Eisenstein in common. Uh, and I was so jealous of you when I saw that in your outreach you said that you had interviewed him and there's a new film coming out and yeah, I saw some clips and I was like... <laughs> and then I heard that he was coming to Sweden. Not only was he coming to Sweden, he was coming to my town, which is not even a town, it's this really small place. And he was coming right here to, to give a presentation and I was like, mm. wow. So I reached out and... And then I was also able to get my own Charles Eisenstein interview, <laughs> <laughs> which was awesome. So then I was like, yeah. okay, Happen Films one, Campfire Stories one. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've gone on to do quite a bit of work with Charles, haven't you? It's, yeah, I made a long interview and then he said that, uh, oh, I'm so sick of uh, filmmakers who just use like five minutes of uh, an hour and a half interview and then they chop the rest and you never hear it or see it anywhere. Mm. So that was the beginning. Then I was like, hmm, let me release the whole thing. You had also released an entire, your mm. entire interview with him, I noticed. Yeah. So, and yeah. then I was like, let me, I'll make little um, episodes and release every question that I asked, the full answer as an episode. Um, mm. And then, so then I was in contact with him and his team to just to send and say, oh, I've just released this. You can check it out if you'd like. Um, and then um, they actually asked me if I wanted to be part of the team too, because they were um, doing the same thing with a whole bunch of material, including your interview. They had all these yeah. different yeah. interviews and they wanted to create 60 second snippets. And so they asked if I wanted to be one of the editors to, to work on that. Mm. And I said, yes. So I, I did that for a while. Um, I, I don't do it anymore, but I did that for maybe six months or something. And it was really mm. cool to be, to be part of the yeah. team and... Um, yeah. So yeah, that mm. was that was wonderful. Yeah. 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 Similar with like, uh, it just made me think about like, I don't know making change in your life in general of you know doing what feels right next and what you're excited about. Like, you know, if you if if you know someone's watching our films and isn't sure, you know, well, what do I do? Or do I grow some food? Do I try to go zero waste? Do I do this or that? Because there's so much you can do, and you've got to start somewhere. Mm. I think it's it's good to start where what what feels right and what feels and what you're excited about. Because if you're not excited about it, then maybe it's not the right thing to be doing next. Maybe it's not the next step you need to take. Mm. Like, right? If maybe you know you really feel like you need to get your hands in the soil, so you you're going to grow something, and that's that's your first step, and that's what you then build from to be like, okay, I've, I've done that now. You know, what else excites me? Oh, okay, maybe I'm going to reduce the amount of plastic or something like that. Mm. That's how we yeah, approach that as well. Mm. Yeah. Nice. So we've mentioned Charles Eisenstein a, a few times. Um, do you have any, anybody else at the moment who inspires you? Uh, could be a, a writer or another filmmaker or music or like a little tip mm. or a, a podcast or something? that I can mm. dive into right away when mm. we finish this. <laughs> <laughs> well, apart from your films, Matthias, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, I don't know, there's always a lot of, there's a lot of people. I don't know, someone who always stands out to me is, um, you probably know Rob Greenfield. Yep. He's a um, mm. guy in the, in the States who might actually be 
venturing out this way yeah. this year. It'd be so yeah. good to meet him in person because we want to film with him. But again, it's that distance. Like, you know, do we take a plane over there to film with him? Um, but I always find him a nice breath of fresh air on social media because he's so honest and he, sh he shares kind of the struggles with the journey he's on. Um, and he's just, he's just living really radically, not in a way to say that everybody needs to live like that, but just kind of like to make people question like, okay, yeah, how much stuff do I need in my life? How much money do I need? Mm. Um, yeah, he's very radical and, and very inspiring and very honest as well. So I always find him, yeah, a pleasure to mm. see online. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm very deeply embedded in four books at the moment, but they're all uh, Te Ao Māori, which is the coming from, um, yeah, that Indigenous New Zealand perspective uh, on, I'm, I'm relearning relearning the history of New Zealand because I wasn't taught it um, properly at school, which is the case in so many colonised cultures. Um, so, so that's, yeah, that's very much my, my mm. space at the moment. I, yep. Yeah. Um, I don't think that, yeah, I can't think of, yeah, that, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so kind of inspired by that at the moment. That's, mm. yeah, that's where my head's at. Yeah, we've got a lot of new books coming in the mail. Going, going on at the moment. Yeah. A lot of library books, a lot of uh, bought books. Yeah, it's, mm, it's interesting. I love the research stage of a new project. I love the diving, diving deeply into it and... Yeah. Is that Fun. sort of your role in Happen Films, the the researcher, the structuring uh, person? Yeah, that's yep. The research, uh, and I'm well, my main role is producer and email writer because somebody somebody around here doesn't like writing email. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, but but George, yeah, we're very much um, like I'll I'll begin the research and then George will dive into it. Um, and then when we're shooting, George's, you're the director, but I tend to, I'm, I'm sort of very much there. George's 100% behind the camera and, and the editing. So, yeah, we, there's a lot of writing we share. Mm. Um, yeah, we share a lot uh, where we can. And then, um, yeah, I, I guess uh, we're very much a, a duo in mm. the... In the mm. All right, well, before I set you free to do whatever you uh, are going to do today and before I set myself free to strike the set and go put myself to bed <laughs> because it's getting late here. It's um, getting late, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what did I miss? What did I forget to ask? What do you want to ask? What's the, what, what, where do we, where do we, how do we end this? Mm. Or do we just go, bye-bye? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, should should we just give it a, give people because yeah, your audience is going to be watching this, our audience is going to be watching this. Like, should we just you know reel off a few links to go look at things? Yeah. Um, so, where can what, what people it, find your work? And what's your favorite? What's your favorite stuff from your own work at the moment? Like, <laughs> what are you most excited for people to see? I'm I'm most excited for people to see the 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 three films that I'm going to be releasing in the next few months. Um, cool. I'll yeah. give a brief breakdown but I always when people ask what I do and I try to explain and they say well where should I begin what should I watch first um, usually I tell them that you can begin with the film that I call an unlearning which is the one that I where I mentioned that I interviewed Charles Eisenstein because that sort of 
explains me a little bit, like my background. How did I, like, what what types of questions did I carry into adulthood unanswered, and mm. uh, and in which way did Charles' work answer them? And then the fact that I may, that I meet him, and and then also he sings a little bit in the end, which is nice. Charles Eisenstein singing in the end. <laughs> So no, nice. We didn't get into singing. <laughs> We're going to have to do another interview where he sings. Um, so that's a good one to, to start off with. Um, and yeah, I'm actually, I, I have a short film coming out uh, in a few months, which uh, the English title will be uh, On Compassion. And it's actually a filmed version of an essay of Charles Eisenstein. So um, the essay oh, cool. is called, the title is What's It Like to Be You? And it's sort of about polarization and about how can you put yourself in the shoes of the person that you feel is your opponent or your even somebody you hate. Um, and oh, I'm so glad you're doing mm. that. That's such a I, I love that subject. I think that's such a good subject to highlight. Mm. Yeah. 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 I just I read that article, uh, the essay of his, and I immediately knew how to turn that into a film. And wow, and cool. strangely enough, Swedish television. Um, I sent it to them and they, I did not expect them to, to pick it up, but they are on board as co-producers. So it's going to be wow. broadcast. Nice. It'll be the first co-production between Campfire Stories and Swedish national television. So that'll oh, be, have the opportunity to get a bigger uh, audience, uh, at least here mm. locally. So that's cool. Mm. Uh, so I think that should be coming out in March or April. Um, I have a film about forestry, coming out uh, in March, I think. Um, which, because there were ads on TV in Sweden from the forestry people saying that they were doing a great job and that it's so environmentally friendly what they're doing and, and all the, the smart products that they can make from, from woods is wonderful. And I was like, ah... Oh. Yeah, that sounds great, but it 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 just didn't sit right with me. I I had no, I didn't know anything about forestry, but I or I I should say I knew one thing about forestry, and that is the fact that whenever I would go into the woods and I would come to an area, a clear cut area, I would feel tremendous sadness, and I just feel that mm. the, something is wrong here. But then when you uh, when you hear the the commercials and see the ads and everything they just make it sound like and make it seem like that's uh, that's the way to do it and this is great for, for for this is progress and this is wonderful and you can make biofuel and you can make all these things instead of plastic things you make it out of yeah whatever they make it sound really great but i was like yeah yeah i didn't buy it and so the mm. this film is called a tale from the woods and uh, i meet i've interviewed five different people that are really experts on ecoforestry and uh, biology and um, mm. all these different topics. And uh, it, it yeah. turns out that it's a horrific idea to clear cut forests and replant mm. them. And I have uh, for so-called forests that are really just tree plantations where every uh, individual tree is the same size and the same age. Um, mm. And it makes them not able to collaborate and makes them uh, much more vulnerable to fires and to uh, storms and to um, insects. And, and so it's, it's a really, really bad idea also economically. But somehow mm. the, the forestry mafia in Sweden hasn't realized that yet. 
But that's one that I'm really excited about. And maybe I'll mm -hmm. leave the third one. I won't sp speak about that now because it'll, <laughs> it's coming out in May or June and I haven't even started editing. But I will say that it's about, <laughs> it's about following your heart. And that's all I will say about that. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and there's cool. this really cool podcast coming out. Uh, well, when whoever is listening now is listening to it, it has already come out. And it's with Happen <laughs> Films, uh, Antoinette and, and Jordan, the, the dynamic duo from Down Under. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that should be our new, that should be our new tagline. <laughs> Forget stories for a changing world. The dynamic duo from Down Under. Like it. <laughs> cool. <clears throat> and where can people find those films and your existing films? Uh, Campfire-stories, plural, dot org. Uh, cool. Or if I did all the SEO work correctly, they should just be able to just put in Ecosia or Google or whatever they use, Campfire Stories. If that doesn't help, mm -hmm. but Campfire Stories films, hopefully something will come up. But yeah, campfire-stories.org. Cool. And whoever is listening on my end, who perhaps has never heard of you, they go to happenfilms.com. Yeah, yep. Yep. happenfilms.com has all our stuff up there. Or if you're already on YouTube, you can just search Happen Films and that's where all our work goes. Mm. Yep. But we're, we're everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, all that fun stuff. We're there, we're not necessarily we're there. We post every now and again. <laughs> the dynamic duo from Down Under are everywhere. You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much for allowing me to, to, to um, take up this entire uh, breakfast time for you or whatever time it is over there now. <laughs> Oh, tell me before, going, going on lunch. Before we uh, say goodbye, what's uh, what are you doing today? What's on the schedule? Uh, I'll probably send you these files. <laughs> <laughs> I am in the process of so with this new project that we've got coming up. I'm in the process of writing a treatment, so um, I've got a, a deadline of uh, late February. Um, we're going to an uh, event where. We're, we'll have an opportunity to um, let people know that uh, we're seeking funding. So, um, so yeah, that's my next few weeks, actually, writing a treatment, which is always, yeah, just trying to um, get, this, get this idea really nutted out. And, and um, if, if somebody listening now wants to contribute to the film, what do they do? Well, we'll probably put a newsletter out about this to our mailing list, so... Um, if people are interested in following along, they can sign up to the newsletter at uh, happenfilms.com and we'll have yeah more, more info about that as the project develops. Yeah, and we also always welcome um, emails directly from our website, from the contact form on our website. Um, we res respond pretty quickly to those. So, mm. yeah, always happy hearing from people. Yeah, Nice. Mm. All right. Well, thank you so very much for this lovely conversation. And, and thank you for the idea. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much for having us on. It's been so nice to chat. Yeah, yeah, loved it. Take care. Keep doing what you're doing. I love your work. And just please keep it up. And uh, can't wait to see the next one. Same to you. Yeah. Thanks, Matthias. Bye. Bye. See ya. This episode has been brought to you by Campfire Stories. Campfire-stories.org Also, don't forget to check out the wonderful work um, that... Antoinette and Jordan are doing over at Happen Films, happenfilms.com. 
Thanks for listening and until the next time.